Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone, John Worth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week, Nick Boliteri. You know Nick, of course you do. Everyone does. Nick needs no introduction, uh, but he is still going strong as an octogenarian. And the reason we're visiting with him, a, it's always entertaining, even at age 86, and perhaps especially at age 86, he is uh, always a good conversation. But also, he is the subject of a new documentary, Love Means Zero, which will be on Showtime starting Saturday. June 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern. Here we go. This is uh, the full the full Boletary uncut uh, in 3, 2, 1. How are you? I'm, I'm doing fine, John. You ready, to, uh, you ready to talk shop for a little bit? Hey, with you, John, I can talk anything, baby. Oh, <laughs> likewise. Pleasure to hear that. How are you? How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm getting ready to go to Malaysia tomorrow, John. Is that... Malaysia? I thought you were going to say a, yeah. uh, a grass court tournament they play in England every summer. No, I'm going to go to help uh, develop tennis to the uh, to the young children and help the coaches. So that, that that's what I'm going to be doing. So I, I want to talk about this documentary, which is a All right, good sir. segue. How do we feel about this thing? Well, I tell you, it's... Um, it really came across the way I was. And a lot of people said, uh, Nick, maybe it could have been a little softer. But you know what, John? I made some serious mistakes. And I did a lot of those things, John, because I never thought ever of what I did. I just did it. And I've just completed, John, about four to 500 hours, I wrote everything because I don't have a computer, I don't know how to use it, in, in my book. And it's called A Coach's Journey. And it'll be coming out during the open. And I've never took time to really realize what I have done. And this is the first time 
I got to know myself. And in the movie, I went so quick. I, I, I just did those things, John. And, and some of them turned out to be not too good, but, you know, both the guys um, forgave me. But uh, I think the movie comes across really to how I did things, John. Well, let's talk about your book in a second, but I'm, I'm curious how this movie came to be. I mean, it sounds like you didn't know the director ahead of time, and he, he no. calls you and says, hey, I want to do this documentary. Well, I think that Ann White, you know, my first, sure, you know, sure. one of my first two or three, she, she was instrumental in, in getting this going. And uh, then out in California introduced me to the team, and they said, Nick, you want to do it? I said, hell, I'll do it, whatever you want to do. And I never thought, John, that it would be that much study and research and getting those films and people. It, it was, and then when I saw the big poster out there, Santa Monica Boulevard, I said, holy shit, have my name up there like that? So it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it, it really, it was the first time I've ever sat down to see the things I did because I, I never took time to do it. In fact, I told the uh, producer, Jason, he kept on asking me, I said, look, if you ask me one more time, the interview's over, the show's over. <laughs> I said, when I tell you, I don't remember, I don't remember. And, you said, you, said you, didn't, you didn't remember the names of all your wives. How could you I, remember I, uh, specifics of tennis <laughs> matches? And I still don't remember them, John. <laughs> but uh, I, then I... You know that Andre and, and Curry, are, I, I, those are my boys, and Andre has always been in Jim Curry, and the, the, the movie came across fantastic. And uh, you think so? Because you know that you did. I know you did. You did hours and hours and hours of interviews, and it's it's a ninety minute film, and obviously a lot of those voices are other people. You're you're happy with how it came out. You recognize that guy. I, 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 yeah, and I tell you, John. Um, I think that some of the people I know real well said, Nick, that was a no bullshit movie. And that's why they enjoyed it. That's, that's high and, praise. And, and, and I think, John, to, to have made it fluffy and flowery, that, that's not Nick, John. And, and that, that's why I believe people will really enjoy the movie, John. I want to ask you about um, men versus women, because I think a lot of people associate you with, with Andre and Jim, pr probably first and foremost. But I, I would argue that you had as much success with, uh, with, with girls and women as you did with boys and men. How differently There's did you no, relate to them, gender, one gender to the other? I, I think that, uh, first of all, uh, doing this and doing my book I've been with a lot of girls. I think with the girls, John, the difference is that you you have to be a little bit more careful on how you say things because they're they're much more emotional. Uh, with the guys, you can be a little rough. You have to know, be careful also what you say. But with the girls, they were more individualistic. Um, in 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 a lot of ways, not that the boys weren't. So I I think with the girls has been very interesting, and when I look over my career, 
I've been with as many girls as I've been with guys. Yeah, right. Who who was the toughest girl you worked with? And I, I, I think probably the one that kept me out there the longest, not the toughest, was Monica Sellish. And I'm going to make you laugh, John. In the book, he has a chapter about practice. The sun coming up, the moon shining. Nick, give me one more ball. Give me one more ball and a picture of Monica. Then it has a picture of Andre. Andre, what time are we going to practice? And Nick, right after lunch, don't forget I have a hair appointment at 2.30. So you see, it's, 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 they're very different. Monica Sellis, you could never yell at her. My God. Uh, she was fabulous. And her practice was far different than Sharapova's practice. And Venus, I think that the girls' practices were the difference than the guys' practices. Uh, it's, you, you, you had to get to know that? that girl a lot more. The boys, you can do this, do that. With the girls, I think you had to know more of an approach that each one of them were very different. So, so how do you do this for tennis? I mean, because this is a challenge every coach has, right? The, the buttons you push for one athlete uh, don't work yeah. for the next one. But you've got different genders. You've got different ethnicities. Yeah. You have people that arrived at your facility. I mean, Jim yeah. has this line. He was begging his parents to go there. Andre was forced to go there. How, yeah. how do I you I, get this relationship where you know what motivates athlete A and not athlete B? John, this is very important. There are a lot of coaches that know much more about the hip turn, this turn. God gave me the ability to read and how to reach people. Boris Becker said it fantastic. He said, Nick stood close to me. He saw the simple things, gave me a simple tip and walked away. And that's the, 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 that's the message or the the gift that I've been born with, and then being able to how to relate it. Uh, I could I could yell at one of the girls. I could yell a little with Serena. I was afraid to raise my voice as she whacked me across the head. <laughs> but every and one time I said she she broke a racket out in the, out on the court was walking off. I said, "Get your ass up!" She said. Nobody ever talked to me, not even my dad like that. But I got back out there for Nick. And, but I, I think that the girls' practices were, were more just about the girl. The guys could practice more with other guys. But the girls would, are, are different, John. But I believe, I believe the key to my success was learning about that person how to talk to and to do that, John, you have to do a little bit research, their family, their brothers. How do they do in school? Are they introvert, extrovert? You have to do a little bit of studying before you start, you know, talking to that person. And then John, Andre Agassi made me a better listener. And I began to, to listen to the students more. And when you listen to them, John, they give you, the answer that they will accept almost with you putting in your input. So that's the difference between the girls and the guys, John. So I'm thinking what struck me, a few things struck me watching this film. One of them obviously was uh, Andre decided not to be part of it, and that that really seemed to uh, 
you you got emotional. I mean, that that seemed to to impact you. It 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 did, and I, I tell you, um, the the two things that I have done that I would have done a lot different. John, if I had flown out to Las Vegas and told Andre what was on my mind, I probably would still be on the team. I really would. And then for me, to do what I did to Jim Courier would be the same as me sitting with my two young sons and rooting for one son and not the other son. Those are the two biggest blunders I've made in my career. When, I made you, a lot, John. When you when you allied yourself with Andre when he when he played, yes, Jim, you mean. Yeah. yes, and and of course Jim is one of my biggest supporters. John, oh my God! But those were two, and um, the nice things that Andre said about me at the Hall of Fame, and he we always talk now. He, if it wasn't for Nick, I wouldn't be here, and. His trainer, Gil Reyes, God bless him, wrote a beautiful thing for my book. He said, Nick, the team that we had will never be duplicated in the history of tennis. So I did make those two blunders. And, uh, of course, kicking Kathleen Horvath out. Uh, I don't know if I call that a blunder, John. <laughs> that was uh, I, uh, probably, you know, when the dad had, a, had her hanging from the tree at night, in, in in the backyard when we're all together to get taller. And and Kathleen never wanted to be part of group teaching, always wanted to be individual. But, of course, Kathleen has been awful nice to me um, as well. So, but, John, so, when you deal with th- thousands of people like I did, you got to fuck up once say, more. My aces, my faults. Um, yes, sir. So, so I'm thinking, too, watching this, that Andre has become Andre. I mean, Jim... You and I, you know, Jim Jim is a friend, and Jim is one of the smartest, most thoughtful people I know. Martin has a big job at the USTA. You mentioned Kathleen Horvath, who worked for Goldman. You, you don't always have this track record with former athletes. Did you Did you realize the caliber of people you were dealing with? Are you? What do you make of how they turned out as adults in their 40s and 50s? Well, John, in my book, I've got about 30 or 40 beautiful messages of the impact that I've made on people. I mean, look at Dave Brewer. He's the head of the, the, the big tournament. I have 15 to 18 coach, college coaches, John, that went through this academy. I, it, it, it's amazing. And then to hear one boy, I came, Nick, 13 years old, a little Jewish boy. I was shy. I didn't know what to do, Nick. I didn't know what to do. Went on to be the captain of the Georgetown team, played number one. Now he's a lawyer. And he said, Nick, I couldn't have done it without being with you. So those letters, John, that I have gotten back and put in the book, that, that, that's made me. No, no, it's not the 10 number ones, John. It's the impact I've made on people's lives, John, adopting my two sons. The Ash Voluntary Inner City Program, baby. I began that. This, to me, I'm the first white person to be in the Black Tennis Hall of Fame. Those are big honors, John. Those are big honors, my boy. Last summer, 
the Library of Congress for Famous Veterans flew me in and did the video, and I'll be in that Congress for Famous for the rest of my life. I mean, shit. I, I, I never thought these things would happen like this. But remember, my grandmother and my father, they helped me. They how, helped how, me from you, the beginning. Well, my grandmother said, Sonny, if you do everything the teachers say to do, you are a good boy, go out and play. Not like parents, did you get an A? Did you win today? And my father said something when 60 Minutes was on. He said, son, when my mother began cursing at the television, my daddy said, son, remember something. Whatever people say, if they're talking about you, they're thinking about you. If you ain't nobody, ain't nobody going to talk about you. And whatever they say, son, you say thank you and let the results of what you do in life do the talking for you. Those words and my military career of being a paratrooper, the discipline. And John, I'm honored in my book, the chapter on leadership and trust and teamwork, you know, did it? The commander of the Blue Angels. And at the end, it shows me getting out of the plane when I flew with them. John, it, 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 writing this book, John, and seeing the, the movie, it's the first time I've ever slowed down, John. Yeah, so, wait, so, tell, going. so keep going with that. Because people, you know, people haven't read the book yet, but they'll see this movie. I, but I want to know from you, I mean, what, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, when was this all crystallized and, and you had time to, to pause and actually look backwards and not forwards? What, what did you learn about yourself? I wasn't afraid to do things that people said couldn't be done. That's the biggest thing I learned. Have courage to do things that people say can't be done because in life, John, most people do things they know there'll be a success in, not Nick Voluntary. I did things that I didn't know of the goddamn outcome, John. Building the first indoor, the first live in the tennis academy of the world. Doing those things. And I tell you, John, I never really stopped to, to think about this stuff. And, you know, one of my buddies said, uh, you know, about me marrying, he said, Nick, most people get married, say you, you do it as a novelty. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the, the, and let's not call it a penalty. In my book, I really apologize to my children. My coach's journey, John, took me away from my families. And I can't call it a penalty, John, because if I stood home, John, I probably would have fucked up anyway. No, but what did, what did your, uh, didn't, what did your ex-wife says? It's either, what did, what did she call Andre? It's either, it's either me or the weasel? What did you call him? The... Yeah, that's right. That's it. And I took my laundry. It, it was in the laundry machine. Put it in the car, and I went and stayed in Fritz Now's house. No, but I see. gave her that. I gave her the house. I gave her every the car, the fucking boats, and the alimony settlement. But I said it's Andre, and she, I left the house, John. She, she said it's me, me or Andre. I can see the weasel, and you said uh, that's I'm it. That's it. Throwing my and lot with the weasel, and that's it. I left, John. So what did you mean? You, you had one line in the film. You said if you, if you don't do wrong, you never reach the top of the mountain. 
What what do you mean by That's, that? I believe if you don't do wrong, you can't learn, John. If you do everything the first time, you've eliminated some things, John. You've got to fall down, John, in order to come back and do it a little better the next time. That's what I learned, John. So, so confess, ne- confess, though. What, I never, uh, the what, John? No, I, I, I was thinking this was, uh, I, I, I interpreted that to mean more sort of if, if you, you got you to gotta cut a few corners along the way. But uh, you gotta, you got to push the envelope a little bit. You have to, John. You have no other choice. What, you have to push hard. What, but I tell you one thing. What's that? John, I took, I took advantage of every person I met, John. My name is, can be Bolletary Steen or Bolletieri. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I've, I've been to Bore Bob Metz's and Big Mob Vices and all of that <laughs> shit. But you know what? John, for Father's Day yesterday, I sent out personally 130 little messages to the, to the guys I know. Okay? That's what I do. I remember birthdays, John. I go to bar mitzvahs. I'm the godfathers. I have taken time, and remember this, John. I will never leave a court having the student, especially young ones, thinking they're a failure, and go home, not eat, don't do their homework, low self-esteem, and then they're subject to the devils that are after them. I don't care who it is, John. And remember something else my record proves. A lot of people I taught didn't have money, baby. I don't give a shit. I taught them anyway. Look at my Martin Blackman. Look, look where he is right now. That's right. I mean, Kathy Rinaldi said, and I'll tell you one thing, Katrina Adams has done a hell of a job. And I love the inner city programs with Kurt Camperman and, and all of these people that have, I do. I do 15 functions a year. And I tell you one thing, I'm going to tell you a funny story. About, oh, I guess it was 12, 14 years ago, I'm at the French Open. And this man asked me to come down by the river there to do an interview. And he said, Nick, I'm going to bring tennis to millions of homes. I said, who's this crazy son of a bitch? He said, I'm going to be crazy like you building the first tennis. And that's my close friend, Ken Solomon. And look what he's done. I was going to say, he's, he's got a little voluntary in him, doesn't he? You just no keep plowing shit, ahead. And, he, and he's one of my best friends. And, of course, hey, what about my Mary Carrillo? Holy shit, baby. I mean, she, she's – I'm a lucky guy, John. I mean, I got you. I got – hey, it's just amazing. Uh, and then remember, I always had to shut my eyes when Brad Gilbert hit the ball. His strokes were so ugly, he had to put two pair of glasses on. But he knew how to beat you <laughs> mentally, John. He knew how to beat you mentally. So, so wait, keep going with that theme, though. I mean, how, how much of this, whether it's it's Jim or Mary or, you know, Kathleen Hormel, how much of this is tennis? I mean, how much of it is this is just a unique sport that builds certain core competencies and, like you say, doesn't traffic in bullshit and well, John, solitary confinement? How much of yeah, this is tennis? You've got you to remember something, John. Tennis is a very lonely sport, far different than most sports. So when you're a one-on-one and you're out there by yourself, that ain't easy. 
the other sports, you know, you can be covered up a little bit by your team. You, you learn but a lot about tennis, yourself. Yeah, exactly. You sure, you sure do. And remember, a lot of people, you judge them not when everything is going right, but how they react when things are going wrong. I mean, look at my Maria Sharapova fighting the injuries. Look at my Tommy Haas, son of a bitch. Look, look at him. And, and, and look at Venus, the blood disease. And I'll tell you one thing. In my book, baby, I said, let me tell you something about the crazy man, Richard Williams. Dad, you don't know what you're doing. You got to get a coach. You got to. Yeah. Look what happened when the girls came out. You know why? Richard Williams was willing to do things that other people didn't do. Okay. And it was a big honor to be on that team. And you, you still call these players my. I mean, do you still feel a real kinship? They're, they're oh, still God. sons of Nick and you, daughters of when Nick. When I had, the only time I've been sick in my life, I had pneumonia. Serena Williams and Anna Kornikova filled the hospital with so much flowers, I tried to sell them, God damn it, before I left. But uh, you, you should see, John, the messages I get. And uh, I'm a lucky guy, John. And my Tommy Haas, look at that. Came here at 11 years old. His sister was playing the Orange Bowl. She came home and said, I'm going home. This ain't for me. And th- two years later, his daddy writes me a note. Nick, I'm giving my son to you. And Tommy Haas came to me, baby. And look what he's done. And I, you know, very few coaches, John, have had the, the opportunity to, to, to do what I've done, John. I had those five condominiums. I had Anna Kornikova in one. I had Wendy Nelson in another one. I had Tommy Haas in another one. In my house, I had 10 people, John, in the beginning. 10 people. All at I your mean, house. They were, like cock- all of- they were like cockroaches that night going in the refrigerator here and there. But this, that's how it started, John. This sounds like a reality show. Um, it, it, it could be, John. So I've, I, you're, you're a... Uh, you- you're you're a no bullshit guy. I got I got a no bullshit question for you. The one, one thing I always say: how, how many players from overseas are the age they say they are? I always wanted to ask you that. How many players? What that that come to you from overseas are the age they say they are? I take the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> That's one thing I always uh, always always wanted to ask you that. You're taking well, the Fifth. You know what? A lot of them came to me, you know, at young ages, though. There's no question about it. There were a lot of young boys that came. Paul Henry Matu, he he was a youngster when he came here. And, uh, we, you know, Kei Nishikori, look, he came, he's 13. He looked like he was still in diapers. Raphael Reggie, you know, I mean, God, but these were, these were all youngsters when they came here, John. You ever have a kid that you don't send off for discipline reasons, but you just say, "I get the feeling you'd be better served elsewhere, or maybe maybe you need to go back home." I don't have a good feeling about this. Well, at times, what what I do there is, John, if the dreams are unrealistic, I'm very truthful with the parents. Then they got to make a decision, because remember, only one percent out of three out of three thousand people make it, John. Now, where did I close my eyes? Jim Curry said, Nick, throw him out. He broke in all the, 
I closed my eyes on Andre. Right. He broke every he broke every goddamn rule in the world. But God said to me, Nick, keep this guy. He's going to be special. Let me let me throw this one at you with Andre. Okay. There there was part of you that had a glint in your eye that did not mind the rebel spirit. That uh, right. you you were not a guy that has much uh, use for convention, and you you had a kindred spirit in this kid who was pushing rules and doing things a little differently. That that didn't offend you the way it would some other people. What do you think of that? I think that that's the way Andre was, and God kept saying to me, Nick, stay with this guy. He's different, but someday he will be special. And uh, th- that's what I did. I, that's the message that came to me. Uh, how, how can I get those messages? I don't know, John. They they, they just came. And uh, when you have that much variety, John, look at the characters that I've had. They were all different, John. Every one of them were different. And no, I was that's able what, that's to... we were saying before. Rich, rich kids and, and kids from challenged upbringings. And you did not get uh, a, a prototype. No, we sure didn't. And I, I believe... That was a test, John, because if you try to put all of them into the same mold, John, it can't be done. Who's more it bo- can't be done. Who's, who's more voluntary? Who do you see yourself, I mean, who, who do you relate to more, Nadal or Federer? I, I think that I'd have to say a little bit of each. First of all, Nadal, in my book, by the way, I said most... People are born in a hospital. He was born in red clay, but he's got big, he, he's got big balls, baby. And at the end of his chapter, I said, it's a good thing you made a lot of money because your laundry bills take the red clay out. Unbelievable. But he's got balls. Uh, he runs, he jumps, everything. And then you go to the other guy, Roger Federer, who is totally different on and off the court. And I don't think, John, that we'll have too many people like either one of them. And by the way, I didn't know until a year after I got into the Hall of Fame and Paul Anacone sent me two framed pictures of why I should get in the Hall of Fame. And you know who they were from? Who's that? Pete Sampras and Roger Federer. Two beautiful letters, John. You, someday when you hear, John, uh, tears came to my eyes, John. Both, both supporting so, your, uh, both yes, supporting your candidacy. Th- yes, sir. And another person who's been on my side, is, of course, is uh, my Billy Jean King. But I'm going to give you a funny story of Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale brought his two daughters to me, Sherry and Terry, yeah, Sherry when and he Terry, left. Right, uh, right. Yeah, when he left Detroit. So he's on the stadium hard court, and I'm on the red clay court. And he yells out at me, Nick, what are you doing with that skinny thing there? I said, Dickie, she's going to be number one in the world. What the fuck you mean? Get your ass over here with my girls. The girl was Monica Sellers. <laughs> and he, but, of course, his girls went to Notre Dame and played for the team. And Dick is one of my biggest biggest friends by the way uh so those are the things i hope, I hope you remind him of that oh i do i All do right, i do and by the way serena's coach patrick Murdico, 
He's a terrific guy, by the way. He does a nice job. The Boletary of uh, the Riviera. Have you you seen his facility? No, we were supposed to have a a Patrick Nick, a big seminar in April, but he was having a little difficulty with his staff, so we're going to do it next year. And uh, he, he says, Nick, you and I will knock him dead. So it was going to be Patrick and Nick. And uh, we'll do it next year, though. No, I did. I did. It's funny you mention him, though, because the they play the boys' final at the French Open last week, and he's sitting right. there in the front row, and he has a relationship with the kid from uh, from Taiwan who wins. And then they bring on the girls, and he's sitting there in the front row because he works with Coco Goff, who uh, is from yep. South Florida. And I'm thinking this is this is reminiscent of. Uh, at, at, at topless Mr. Boletari sitting in for Monica right. Sellis and then uh, right. sitting out for the next session when Andre plays. Um, yeah. Do you, you see any of yourself in him? Well, I do. And uh, he is uh, a very giving guy. And he also knows how to relate to people as individual people. And uh, I think that that's w- what makes him special. And uh, he and I are the best of friends. And uh, he he just does a great job. And by the way, another lady that does a great job is Judy Murray. She she's just does a great job. And you know, Tony Nadell, hey, I don't know if if that if Rafi would be where he is without Uncle Tony either. You know. Oh sure. No, I mean it's obviously a different dynamic when it's your mom or your uncle versus this Italian guy in uh, the West Coast yeah. of Florida. Right. Well, you know something, John? I don't know if anybody's going to do what I did, though. I did it first, John. And whether it was right or wrong, I had the balls to do something nobody else ever did ever in the history of sports. And now the academy is going from 20 acres, John, to 600 acres. And not not just tennis, right? No, it's 10 sports. You ought to come someday, John. You ought to come down and spend a couple of days, buddy. The um, t- tell me, Lo- Love Me Zero is uh, Saturday on Showtime. It premieres. Tell me about your book, because I didn't realize. Uh, yes, we didn't know about the, this. The, the the book is going to be called A Coach's Journey, sharing my victories and defeats, and it'll be divided in four or five sections. I wrote every single word, John. Every single word. There's going to be short lessons, pushy parents. Pro versus going to college. And it will be a book of all different messages, then and lessons. Then the book will then have motivational tips by Nick. And then what I learned from some of my best players, and there'll be about 30 of them that I learned lessons from. And then the impact that I've made on people's lives after they left here. And I can't believe the, the, some of the letters we're getting in. And I wrote this book, my own self, everything where I don't have a computer, I don't know how to use it. I wrote it all freehand oh, because I want the people to know I wrote this book. No one helped me, John, nobody, nobody. And the PTR is going to help get it. Uh, uh, it's being edited now. 
and we hope to have it out by the U.S. Open, John. We'll have you on again when that comes out. If you if you wrote a whole well, book by hand, I hope you got an MTO. Cause, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> well, John, also I'd like to compliment you. Um, you come right to the point. You know your stats, and uh, I enjoy watching you when you're interviewed, and I think it's a big compliment that you took time to, to call me, John. I appreciate that, sir. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, Good luck with all this. We're gonna uh, we're gonna make sure people know where to watch Love Meet Zero, okay. and we'll see you. Uh, I guess we're not gonna see you at Wimbledon, but we'll see you uh, I'll, see I'll, at the U.S. At Open. The Open. Always a pleasure. God bless you, John. You as well. See you, Nick. All right, that does it for this week. That was our guest, Nick Bolitari. Um I think you can see why he remains the magnetic figure he was, um, I would say, I, I don't even think polarizing. I would say mildly controversial in some quarters, but his body of work, his track record speaks for itself. Um, always entertaining talking and listening to Nick Volatieri and Jamie Lasanti sitting in on this interview. See, this is old hat. Uh, those of us who have been around tennis have had this experience before, and you sit and smile and admire. Um, I get the feeling... This was a new experience for you. What'd you make of our friend Nick? I uh, the first thing I asked you was if I if I needed to edit this. Uh, I made mark of lots of lots of curse words. Little profanity uh, <laughs> slipped in there, but I think uh, if he's doing a documentary for Showtime, I think we're okay. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was Nick in a nutshell, um, an endearing figure. Maybe uh, bounces around topic to topic. Very good at. Um, I mean, I, again, I think that uh, there, there's an element of marketing that he does really well. But I think that, in retrospect, what he really had a gift for was knowing how to motivate what athletes. And you look at his the, the crop of athletes that have come through his facility. Some were there longer than others. Some of them he was more involved with than others. But male, female, you know, Jim Courier's upbringing is not the same as Maria Sharapova's upbringing. Um, Andre Agassi's MO is not Monica Seles' MO, and yet he had not just relationships, but also sort of meaningful coaching input with uh, with all of them. Um, what do you think listening to the man? I'm, I'm curious, uh, not having been through that experience before, uh, how, how that struck you. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I've obviously heard him speak before, but it was funny listening to you guys go back and forth. And as you said, it wasn't a lot of back and forth. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> as you said, kind of just letting him loose. He is very much a salesman and kind of everything he says, which is um, like you said, there's that's that's expected, I guess, of him. But it is remarkable, um, you know, what he has done with so many different players, as you mentioned. Um, it's just interesting. I, I like you know, the the direction of the documentary is kind of talking about, as you said, his aces and faults, um, which I find very interesting because a lot of times people do sacrifice other parts of their lives in order to succeed in others. And so... Uh, Did you see the documentary? No, I I'll, I'll send you the link. I watched but, the trailer. You know, there, there are times when this filmmaker who's... Uh, I, I, J, Jason... Um, Jason Cohn is his name. I don't think he had any sort of prior history with Nick Balateri, tennis fan... But there were times when he went back and forth, and he says to Nick, "This is on, this is on film, and this is this made the cut." And he says, "Oh, you're giving me the schmooze answer. I want to really know what you're thinking here. Don't give me the bullshit. Like, don't give me your your canned prepackaged shtick. I really want to know what you're going through." And sometimes he gets it out of him, and sometimes Nick won't go there. Um, 
he doesn't talk much about the uh, the the eight wives, except uh, as as he did with us, sort of facetiously. He doesn't talk about uh, again what I I was always told, which is uh, the the age of players coming through that academy is always a bit of a source of mystery. He said, "I plead the fifth, which uh, I I can respect that. But um, no, I mean I think tennis will remember him very fondly. His his Hall of Fame induction was there was some some pushback and some controversy, but he finally. Uh, to mix metaphors, got to the finish line with that. And I also think, you know, you're 86 years old, and at some level you remain vital and active, and you, you heard he's going to Southeast Asia and he's coming back for the Open, but you also inevitably start thinking about legacy and how you want to be remembered and career retrospective, which I think to some extent uh, this was. Did, did you ever have coaches like that that just for whatever reason – they just knew how to connect with you. Yeah, the one thing that the conversation sparked for me was the idea of a coach having such a a reputation that everyone sort of thinks that they're going to change you as a player, sort of, if that makes sense. So people who think that, oh, if, if only I get on this team or if only I get to this person's camp or get an, an hour with this guy, right, right. he's going to miraculously change how I play or how I think. I'm going to be so, such a better player because – He's done it with, you know, all these other players that you kind of admire and look up to. I know for me playing soccer, there was coaches like that. And I, I've had, I had a coach growing up that I very much connected with. And he was, you know, my childhood coach and the team was really uh, connected through him. And, but I, I always wondered, there were coaches for me that were those people up on, on a pedestal. And I always wondered whether or not it was because they had that reputation or because they really were, you know, like, cause where do you yeah, talk? Yeah, right, line? right, right. Um, so that's something I thought of when, when he was talking and, and you guys were going back and forth. About um, that. No, it's interesting because I think at the very, very top level, I mean, Jim Courier said this was, this was like, I think he said, this was being on the Yankees. This was the, the ultimate validation to be part of this group. I think they're also, and especially as the Academy got more commercial, and with with success, it expanded. And I think you had also a lot of like hacky players, you know, players at my level who, well, I'm going to go to Boletari's and yeah, I think it was $900 an hour is what he charged for a private lesson. I think there were also the sort of B-level players who thought, well, I'm just going to go to this magical place and I'm exactly. going to come out uh, like Andre Agassi. Exactly. Um no, it's. I mean, I, I'm glad. You know, Nick, Nick is Nick is terrific, and people sort of know the story, and he's he's written a number of books. But I I do think I really appreciated the way this filmmaker really pressed him. And again, Eight Wives is something that's sort of become embedded in tennis lore. But there's a story there, and there are children that probably were emotionally neglected. And again, the story where the wife the wife essentially says it's me or Andre Agassi, and he says, "Tell tell me how much I need to send you in." spousal maintenance because I'm picking Agassi there's some room to dig there and I think the the film was sometimes successful sometimes less so at getting him to go there but uh anyway he uh again I I put Boletari in this this category of people that history will remember fondly and again if, if nothing else just the sheer track record just the players who have been through there the Grand Slams represented I mean was he Serena Williams primary coach probably not but she did a stint there um andre agassiz was obviously more was was more textured but um anyway it's uh this is 90 minutes worth your time love means zero not an unflawed documentary but uh still worth watching um 
Anyway, what else is on your mind? Anything uh, Roger Federer wins still another title as he creeps closer to uh, both 100 titles and age 37. Equally 37. remarkable. 37, I know. Um, what were we talking? Can, can I sell you out? You have you have editing power, so ultimately it's up to you to keep this or not. But remember we talked about Michael Stieck winning Wimbledon in 91? Yes. Remember your response? What, that I uh, might have not been born yet? Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> In any case, uh, so so my, my larger point being 37, an athlete still at that level at age 37 must have a special resonance for you as it does for me. Um, yours being under, mine being over. Anyway. Um, I had a few months when that happened, so it's all right. Oh, on Michael Stieck? All right. <laughs> Take that, Stieck. All right. Uh, Jamie, I think that does it for this week. Always a pleasure talking with Nick. I do want to say I did check the reviews, and people have been – leaving reviews so i want to say thank you to them oh okay good good keep the reviews coming right yeah keep them coming help else with these uh public service announcements that you're better at than i am what else people should subscribe to this on uh subscribe and leave some more reviews give us some stars (laughs) and keep the guest suggestions coming too because they've generally uh been excellent and even if we can't get the people as guests um someone suggested alexander stevenson again i think that one came in yesterday interesting um Anyway, uh, we will have another guest next week. Thanks to Jamie, as always. Thanks to Nick Balateri for, uh, as always, an entertaining session. <laughs> and uh, again, the movie is Love Means Zero. It will air on Showtime on Saturday, June 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right. Have a good week, everyone.